Hi, I wanted to let you know that I have a brand new, totally free masterclass available and I'd love if you wanted to check it out. It's about an hour long and it goes over three simple things that every dog owner needs to know in order to teach a dog quickly and easily without pain, force, a major time investment or fancy equipment. When you register, you'll also get a free 20-page ebook all about what I call the dog training triad. You can find it at anniegrossman.com slash masterclass. Hi, my name is Annie Grossman and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. Hello, Sue. Why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself? I'm Susan Thixton. I run the website truthaboutpetfood.com and uh, run a consumer stakeholder organization association for truth in pet food, providing pet food consumers with a voice at pet food regulatory meetings and with FDA when they choose to listen to us. It's strictly their ball game, and sometimes they listen to us, and sometimes they don't. Now, I first found you through your blog, Truth About Pet Food. Did the associations start the the blog or vice versa? Truth About Pet Food started first, and I was going to AFCO meetings and wanted asked them for an advisory position to where you know, I could give them consumer opinion more than just being in the audience. And they denied me year after year. And when a president, former president, finally went off the board of directors, he told me that the trick is we didn't want a blogger to be an advisor to AFCO. So they forced me to start Association for Truth in Pet Food. They made me validate that it was a licensed business in the state of Florida, validate that it had a separate bank account, everything separate from truth about pet food. So that's how, in order to get a voice at AFCO, we had to start the association. And can you tell people what AFCO is? The Association of American Feed Control Officials. It is a private organization that writes law very interesting that a private organization would write law and they sell the law. The model bills that AFCO writes are accepted into most states, barely over half, but still most states. And most of those laws are not public information. You have to buy copies of the laws from AFCO. So pet owners, veterinarians, if you want to know what the word flavor means on a pet food label, or if you want to know what chicken, your ingredient list is chicken. Chicken in pet food is very, very different than chicken in human food. Very, very different. Well, AFCO owns all those laws and all those legal definitions, and you have to pay AFCO 
$100, $125 a year to have access to those laws and definitions. Which is something probably zero pet owners ever do. Yeah, and worse yet, no to do. When we look at a label, it says chicken. The label image shows chicken just as we know it. But pet food chicken is allowed to be chicken as we know it, chicken skin and bones only, no meat, condemned chicken. It can be so many different things, and most pet owners are unaware of that fact, and it's horrible. The labels and the pet food websites are very misleading because they're playing to our familiarity to common ingredients, chicken, beef, those ingredients, every ingredient in a pet food has its own legal definition that is very different from the same food item in human food. Why is there this discrepancy Oh, in your, in your opinion? Can of worms. We're opening a can of worms. Pet food, to me, this is my bad attitude talking, most pet foods, is waste disposal. So they slaughter millions of animals every year for human consumption, uh, condemned parts of the carcass, condemned carcasses, more than a billion, with a B, pounds of dead animal carcasses have to be disposed of each Hold year. On. Con a condemned carcass would be like... Cow dies in a field, these big feedlots with all of these animals. One example, several years ago, a couple years ago, there was uh, dramatic flooding in North and South Carolina where there is a lot of confinement farms for animals. And I'm thinking it was over 5,000 hogs and over 3 million poultry, turkey and chickens drowned in their barns. You know, the water's just rose and they're in a confined area and the animals just drowned. Well, when the waters subsided, those drowned decomposing carcasses were ground up and sold to pet food with no disclosure to consumers. That's the part that I'm constantly going, you can't do this. You, you For one, a diseased animal or animal that has died other than by slaughter is a direct violation of U.S. federal law. And the FDA, even though they have no authority to interpret federal law completely opposite, the term is manifestly contrary, they have no authority to interpret law opposite of the actual words. They do. And they directly tell the pet food industry Go ahead. Go ahead. It's okay. Use these dead, disease, decomposing animals. And again, with no disclosure to the consumer. Consumers don't know which pet food has it. The only way to know, most pet products, foods and treats, are not food at all. They are feed, like cattle feed and chicken feed. Feed that's was designed to be sold in 50-pound bags and fed on the ground, not brought into our homes. 
is that the definition between feed and food? Well, there, is, there is, the is a legal definition of feed, and we pushed them for that to make them legally define feed. It hadn't been before. And the definition says it abides by law unless a regulatory authority has given it permission not to. I'm sorry, the word feed means it is meant for animals who are going to be killed for slaughter? No, yeah. not necessarily. Pet food is feed. Most pet foods are feed. Feed means it is a animal food, okay, but it's not food. Crazy thing. It doesn't meet the legal requirements of food. Feed does not meet the legal requirements of food. It's a lesser category. Feed, the, the legal definition of it states that it abides by law unless it doesn't, unless a FDA or a State Department of Agriculture authority allows it not to be. So feed is basically food except with loopholes that allow it to perhaps not meet all the standards of food, food being something that is meant for human consumption? Well, Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, which are the laws that regulate human food and are supposed to regulate all animal foods, the act defines food as that what humans and animals eat. So food should be the same for animals, same quality, the definition is the same as it is for animals but it is not. The exception to all of this is human-grade products. When a pet owner sees a product with the words human-grade printed on the label, ignore anything on the website, the company website, because nobody, no regulatory authority scrutinizes pet food websites. They do scrutinize product labels. So if you see that on the label, then you know that this product is a food. It is a meets all legal requirements of food manufactured in a licensed food facility under inspection. All ingredients are edible. Ingredients, raw material, and final product was transported and warehoused according to safety standards for food. All the rest of them are feed. And you, not, not all manufacturers use these diseased animals and animals that have died other than by slaughter. But the problem is we don't know. We have no idea. There's no disclosure anywhere as to who uses them or who not, who does not. The only guarantee consumers have is those words human grade on a label. Is that something we should be looking for then, that it says human grade on the label? As a uh, the, shortcut. The only way I can answer that is to tell you that I only give my own pets. I've got two dogs and five cats. I only give them human grade. I would okay. not give my own pets a feed grade product. A pet food killed my dog. 30 years ago, almost overnight, I ran a dog obedience dog training school in Louisville, Kentucky. And my soulmate dog, she was just my best friend almost overnight, got a tumor on her pelvic bone. And I take her to the vet who this vet back then, 30 years ago, knew more about pet food than most vets do today. 
take her to my vet. And he said, it's bone cancer. And you've got about two weeks to tell her goodbye. And I, I was like crushed. And he said, it's probably the pet food. And there's a preservative that they use in the pet food that causes cancer. And it's commonly causes bone cancer. So my guess is that's what it was. And I went preservative. I had no idea what, what a preservative was 30 years ago. And he explained it extends the shelf life. Still didn't understand what shelf life was. And so 30 years ago, I made a phone call to this pet food company, my first phone call ever to a pet food company. And I asked them what the shelf life was for this dog food. And they very proudly told me the food would stay fresh for 25 years. So that's was this a canned food or a dry food? It was a dry food. Wow. Yeah. And what was the dog food and what was the preservative? Well, I don't want to say the dog food, but the preservative was a Thoxiquin. If you think back 30 years ago, there was really only one pet food on the market. You can probably guess who that pet food was. It was the leading pet food 30 years ago and is still. And why can't you say which it is? Because there's a big enough target on my back as there is. Okay. <laughs> Understood. Okay. And the preservative was? Ethoxiquin. And it's still used today. E-T-H-O-X-Y-Q-U-I-N. You probably won't see it in the ingredient panel. It is very commonly used if your pet food has a meal ingredient most commonly used with a fish meal ingredient. But if you see fish meal for certain, you need to call the manufacturer and ask them what the fish meal was preserved with. Regulations, because the fish meal supplier is who preserved it, added the ethoxiquin. The pet food manufacturer is not required to put that ingredient, that preservative, on the pet food label. Okay, just perhaps a dumb question. And again, going back to confusing words, we've talked about food, we've talked about feed. What is meal? Meal is a rendered cooked ingredient. You'll see on product labels, chicken meal, lamb meal, fish meal. Meal means that this, we'll use the example of chicken meal. So it can be whole carcasses of chicken, USDA inspected and approved, or it can be, and this is common in pet food, spent hens. Poultry, when they're done laying eggs, they only lay eggs for a few years. Uh, when they're done laying eggs, the poultry, the egg farmer yeah, has no further need for these hens. And it is common for the barn uh, they bring. It's called a maciator, I believe. It's like a big vacuum with a blade at the end of it. And they come in and just suck all the birds out of the whole entire barn. And they're ground alive. That material, dead chickens can go into this. They're ground, cooked. And this is going to make everybody not want to eat a soup. But if you can imagine like you're cooking a big soup, the fat that rises to the top of all of this slurry of material 
that becomes chicken fat, animal fat, if there's multiple species in it. They will take all the moisture, fat, moisture, out of the meat part of this, further grind it, that becomes chicken meal. It is a meat, I'm using the term meat loosely, it is an animal protein product that looks like dirt. It's a, a brown powder. It, it looks like dirt. And that's the protein that your pet is eating with these foods. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you found out that this ingredient was very likely killing your dog and you called the food company. What happened next? This was pre-internet. I mean, it, it changed that day, changed my life forever. It changed the direction of my life. This particular veterinarian loaned me books that he had with the invention of the internet. Then you had access to getting online and reading papers and reading regulations and so forth. And in 2006, a group of friends nudged me because I, I would continuously wear people out telling them this information. Anybody that would stop long enough, I would share information with them. So these friends encouraged me to start a website. And so Truth About Pet Food got started. And a year, year and a half after that, consumers went, you need to go to AFCO and be there, be our eyes and ears for us. Consumers sent me to AFCO, and now I go to those meetings twice a year, every year, have a better understanding of how this whole system works. You know, that that's from going to AFCO meetings, I have learned what laws they do enforce, what laws they do not enforce, what they blatantly ignore, so forth. Are you now then like a full-time pet food or pet owner advocate? Uh, yeah, this is all I do. Yes. Are there other people doing what you do or are there you? There are quite a few people that do go to the regulatory meetings now, but not many, not enough as we need. It's 400 people say at these meetings, they're mostly industry, maybe 50 to 100 mm -hmm. of the 400, 100 max being regulatory and there's probably eight to 10 of us. Some represent, a veterinarian friend of mine represents the human grade manufacturers. She started a trade association to represent the human grade manufacturers, but there's very few people uh, that go consistently representing the consumer voice. What is the reason that you think there's this divide? Is it be between what's allowable for human food and what's allowable for people food. I mean, is it our feelings about pets in our lives has changed and the laws haven't kept up? It seems to me like all these laws are in place to feed animals that are not being welcomed into our homes as loved family members. It's waste disposal. And to me, it all got started with how we originally fed dogs and cats. My grandparents, I'm from Kentucky originally, and my grandparents were country people. Uh, they lived out in the country. They went to town 
maybe once every two weeks to get staples. But my grandfather hunted, fished. They had a garden. My grandmother would can. And they had lots of dogs and cats. Those animals for their whole entire lives ate when my grandfather hunted and he would clean the animal. The dogs would eat the internal organs. They would eat table scraps. They never ate a commercial food. This was very common not very long ago that animals ate the same things we ate, but sort of our leftovers. Well, okay. not just not just for a few generations, but for millennia. Millennia. Yes, that's, yes exactly. That's a one theory but, is that they evolved to eat our our waste. Right. That we that was a coevolution. So, I, what what it seems to me what you're saying is that the same thing is now happening. They're eating our scraps. They're eating our awful. They're eating our you know that the chicken that dropped dead for mysterious reasons in the. It, except on a much grander scale. And as the human food industry has gotten better at taking every little morsel of meat, you know, mechanically separated meat off of that carcass and more chemicals used, you know, as we have industrialized food, that means the excess chemicals, the less and less, worse and worse, have gone into pet food. And so then it went to literally the the dead livestock. And, you know, this is something that's horrendous to think about. A cow dies, lays in a field for three days, decomposing, and that is going to be sold in a bag at your grocery store? You know, it, it's just horrendous. It's so in, it's it's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? It it seems to me like it's, it's, the least. it's <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's one industry that hasn't kept up. It seems like with the modernization of of many parts of our lives for the better. Well, but there are good companies out there. That is the thing, and the right. hard part is discerning who's who. You know, because they all say ours is the best. No, ours is the best. No, ours. Why aren't vets more knowledgeable about food, in your opinion? Or do you think that's true? That's my, my uh, perception. I do of think most it's vets. true. Two parts to that. One, they're not taught these things in vet school. You can ask. Well, why not? They're taught by, uh, agreed, I don't set the curriculum, <laughs> you know, I would. I think they need to learn about the regulations of pet food because they need to know what the laws are. And if a product comes in, if a client comes in saying, well, the company said this, if they knew a little bit about the laws of pet food, they can go, nope, that company just lied to you because here's the law. But vets are busy running a clinic and they have to know all the meds and surgery techniques and so forth. So just like human doctors, they don't get deep into nutrition. The other part of why vets don't know this is the same way all these laws and all this truth is hidden from us, from consumers, it's hidden from vets too, to know the laws, the vet would have to buy the book every year, go to the regulatory meetings every year. Well, that's difficult to do. 
You know, so I, it's a very hidden to really understand what's really going on. I would bet you could ask 99 out of 100 veterinarians, just take a random 100 and ask them what a human-grade pet food is. And I would bet 99 out of 100 would tell you that's not a real thing. But it is a real thing. And it's really defined. I, I have two. I'm under the impression of two things, one about vets and one about breeders. Vets, I feel like, are will recommend a brand. And if you ask them why, they'll say, well, you know, that brand came in and gave a lecture one afternoon at my vet school. And the vet might also say, and we really didn't get much of an education on pet food, but I did have this one lecture given to me by the brand. Yeah. That's a a hunch I have (laughs) that that's where a lot of vets get their information. The other is breeders. There's a couple brands that we have clients say they feed their dogs because the breeder recommended it. And there's not major brands that you see at the supermarket. They seem to me more like pyramid scam kind of brands. Mm. Have you run into that? Yeah. Life's, I, ab- Life's Abundance is one yeah. that I've heard of. Yeah. And I, I don't know the quality of these foods, but when I hear about that, I, I always pause and think, I don't think your breeder is recommending this because of the quality. Well, I, it, it emphasizes that, you know, people shouldn't listen to anyone, myself included, and take that as absolute fact. Listen to what the other person is saying and then go do your own learning. You know, the more you learn about this industry, uh, the better off they're going to be. And I know it's tough. We're, we all lead very busy lives and we don't want to have to spend hours researching pet foods but this is a life or death situation. It very easily can be. So what are some of the things that you offer or that you've developed that people who aren't familiar with your work can access to get more information about what they should be feeding their dog? On the homepage, the most significant to me is human grade. You know, if more pet owners understood human grade and feed grade, They are then empowered to ask manufacturers better worded questions. And on the homepage of my website, there is, I'm trying to figure out where it is. It's in the top middle. There's a link. And I I did a brochure pamphlet. Um, it's, It's under resources. Those three things right there help to give pet owners just more information, make them better educated consumers. And you also have a pledge that you have. On the association website, we do have pledged to quality and origin where manufacturers provide us quality of ingredients, country of origin of ingredients, and then sign the document that states all the information is true. Yes. And how many companies have you had sign that? There's quite a few. I would say 40 different companies. There's quite a few. That's on associationfortruthinpetfood.com. And you also have a recommendation list that people can purchase, right? Since this is all I do, I do have to support myself doing this work. And the most common question I get is, what do you feed your own dogs? Tell me what to feed. And I can't ever make um, any kind of a brand, specific brand recommendation. I can't and don't. 
endorse any pet food company. So the way I could support myself, help support myself, and answer their questions was to come up with a list of pet foods that I personally would trust to give my own pets. Uh, these companies are very thoroughly vetted. They have to list, provide answers to a long list of questions. And then they have to provide me with validation, like if they're telling me all the meats are sourced from humanely raised animals. Well, they have to provide me with verification of that. If they say we only buy human-grade meats, well, they have to provide me verification of that. Country of origin, they, they provide me invoices of that states human-grade and what country it comes from. It takes about three months each year to get this document put together, and it's a lot of work for the manufacturers to provide me with all of these documents, but that's how I go about selecting a food for my own pets. I'm that picky. I want to know that this food, you know, is as safe as possible. I do buy this list every year and I suggest you buy it too. It's $25, is that right? It's anywhere from 10 up. It's the same document, $10 up. It's the same document no matter what price you purchase it at. It's listed at multiple price points for people that want to help the cause, help support Truth About Pet Food. If they can afford more, then they can pay more to help support our work. So does that mean you won't talk about any specific brands during this conversation? I really, it's it's just not, I have to remain as unbiased as I possibly can. And yes, I do have personal opinion, but as a consumer advocate, doing that work, I can't have a personal opinion. I have to separate that. How do you feel about changes in the pet food market. I mean, is there a name for the movement that, that I've at least noticed in the last, I'd say, 10 years of these smaller companies coming on the market and offering what's at least seems like better options? I think people in you, some of the histories of these companies are just like what happened to me. Their own pet died from a food. And as they dug in and learned more, they were horrified as to what is actually out there being called dog food and cat food. And so they started, a lot of times the, the people started cooking for their own pets because they didn't trust anything. And then that led to them starting a company. I think the majority of these small companies were started because of a horrible something happening, a bad, bad experience, and they wanted to make a difference in the future. And they are. There's lots of wonderful choices. But there again, you're, you're the viewers and listeners, don't just trust their marketing. Do the homework. Ask them the difficult questions. Dig in a little bit to make sure what they're telling you is actually accurate. Do you recommend cooking for your dog above all else? My own pets eat one half commercial raw, one half home prepared cooked. 
So I think cooking is a wonderful thing. It's not rocket science. My cooking has not killed anyone, (laughs) but you do have to follow a good recipe. So you don't want to just arbitrarily, oh, I've got some chicken and I've got some, you know, whatever. You've got to follow a good recipe, but it's not hard. It's really not hard. It's a little time consuming, but for a human grade, you know exactly what's in there then. When you make it yourself, you know exactly what your animal is eating. I think it's a great thing to do as long as you're following a good recipe. And what recipes do you suggest? Dr. Karen Becker on her website has some cat food recipes on Mercola.com. If you look Dr. Karen Becker up on the homepage of Truth About Pet Food, there's a video for a dog food recipe. I think it's on Planet Paws. PlanetPaws.ca has more recipes from Rodney Habib and Dr. Karen Becker. Dr. Judy Morgan, her website has some dog recipes. They're out there. You know, just make sure they are a complete and balanced recipe. Right. That's my understanding of why you can't just wing it. It's because dogs do have different nutritional needs. And that if something's labeled a commercial pet food, that means it has to be especially balanced for a dog. I have sometimes recommended, and you can tell me what you think about it, the website balanceit.com for people who are making their own dog food. Are you familiar Uh, with balanceit.com? I am familiar with them. It took me I had to jump through multiple hoops to finally get to talk to Balance It. Balance It is a company that sells recipes, and then they sell you the supplements to balance that. But it has a tool where you can put in, like, I'm going to give my dog turkey and broccoli and carrots, and it'll tell you, okay, this is what you need to add, right? Well, I've never used it officially, but I've been in contact with them, and it took forever. I had to jump through hoop after hoop to finally get in, to talk to someone there. Uh, some of their supplements are sourced from China and they don't, they're not real open about disclosing that on the website, which I am not a fan of. Not everything that comes out of China is bad. Okay. It's not, but at the very least consumers deserve to know and they can decide if they are comfortable with Chinese sourced supplements or not. So that's my issue with Balance It is that some of their supplements are sourced from China. And for your listeners, you might have a pet food company if you call them and ask country of origin and you're leery of Chinese source supplements. Many companies will say taurine, which is big in the DCM issue right now, and it's a required Um, supplement for cats or it's a required nutrient for cats. Many companies will tell you China is the only company they can buy touring from. That is not true. Japan is another country that exports touring. It's much more expensive than the touring from China. Most supplements are much more expensive if they're sourced from the U.S. or other countries of origin that might not have the questionable history that Chinese pet supplements have. So, but don't be misled by these companies. There are other places to get them. If they're telling you, no, China's the only place we can buy it. That's not true. 
Do you recommend getting pet foods that have nothing from China in them? That's the individual. That's, you know. Well, my, my, my a, knowledge about China as it relates to pet food comes from the Marion Nestle. Yeah. The Marion Nestle book I read about the 2007 pet food recall, which for those listening who are not familiar, was the biggest food recall in history, in I history. believe. And, yes. it, and it was a pet food recall, although there were, I believe, baby foods also affected. And it stemmed from China sourced melamine. It that, was wheat gluten you tell me. that was laced with melamine. So here, this brings up another issue of pet food. Pet food is required, like an adult dog food is required to be 18% protein. Well, we hear protein and we think meat, but pet food doesn't, the protein can be from anything. So vegetable, a wheat gluten, a vegetable protein they added melamine, which is a plastic. Protein is analyzed in pet food. If you notice on the back of your pet food label, it says crude protein. Crude is a method of testing, and they measure the amount of nitrogen in the pet food. So when you see crude protein 24%, crude protein 30%, Pet owners unknowingly think, oh, it's got more meat in it. Look, it's 30% protein. Not necessarily. It's got more nitrogen in it. We don't know if that protein is actually available to the animal, where it came from. That 2007 instance, the melamine was added to wheat gluten to raise the protein level of the wheat gluten which then they could sell the wheat gluten for a little bit higher price than normal wheat gluten. Many pet food manufacturers utilized it, and it killed many, many, some accounts, hundreds of thousands of pets, a very painful kidney failure death. It was horrible. Amazing. And absolutely nothing, nothing has changed in the pet food industry since then. Congress, after that recall, wrote laws. It was the Food and Drug Administration Amendments Act, and the laws were titled Ensuring the Safety of Pet Food. And it was, those laws were written on the lives of all, all those pets that died in 2007 to prevent this from happening again. FDA was required by Congress to complete these updates, pet food safety updates, by September of 2009, every year, 2010, still not done, 2011, still not done, 12, 13, 14, they never, FDA never did what the U.S. Congress told them they had to do. And then in 20, late 2018, uh, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky went in and submitted an addendum to an unrelated bill and those laws that many, many pets died for, thanks to Senator Rand Paul's addendum, were wiped off the record. They're gone. So we have nothing, nothing. All those pets died in vain. Terrible. Yeah, it's criminal. Very simply, what's the best way to know what is a good food? 
I mean, I guess we've touched on some of this, but anything we haven't touched on? Well, everybody has to be comfortable. Like you, you have to understand what feed grade and human grade is. You know, to me, it's a human grade pet food, a human grade pet food that is minimally processed, but you might be different. Okay. So you've got to understand what cards you're dealt, what's available out there first. And then you can decide what is best for your dog, your cat. Understanding some of the regulations, such as, here's another one, the term with. You see many pet food labels that say, Joe's pet food with chicken, with on a label when it's in the name of the product, means that that pet food only has to contain 3% chicken or 3% of whatever it is with. When you look at a 20 pound bag of pet food, 3% is, is only like, oh gosh, I have this all calculated out in an article on my website. The, the, it can be anywhere. No, I, don't, I don't remember. It's, it's, it's so minimal. It's horrible. So if you think, look at that bowl of food if it's a kibble that that your dog is eating. And if you think only 3% of this chicken that's blazoned all across the label with a picture of chicken (laughs) or roasted chicken on the label. Dry food versus canned food versus frozen versus freeze-dried, dehydrated. Do you have feelings about that? Do you deter people from dry and canned? I like for it to be recognizable. I like to be able to see what I'm feeding. You have no idea what you're feeding in a kibble. It's so highly processed. Ingredients are cooked at least four times before it gets to your dog's bowl. That's why they have to add so many supplements back to it, because it's cooked and then cooked and then cooked and then cooked. So all the nutrients have been cooked out of those food slash feed ingredients. So minimally processed, just how people benefit from eating minimally processed foods. The same thing for our pets. If you can't afford to feed all human grade, then feed some, you know, add a third every day uh, to your, your dog's diet. That's huge to add some minimally processed actual food to their bowl. Take a third away and put a third of actual food in. Uh, Raw versus cooked? I I feed both. So, you know, I'm okay with, I'm more of a quality of ingredients. I'm not so stringent that it has to be raw. It has to be cooked. I'm open to it all. But I'm really, really picky on quality of ingredients. They have to be edible ingredients. I often tell puppy owners in particular to steer clear of dry food whenever possible because in my own experience, I find dry food tends to produce a lot more waste. (laughs) And (laughs) when you have a puppy, you want to have less pee and poop rather than more and poop? Well, uh, it's the nature of the beast. A kibble, if you imagine all these ingredients are ground very finely, then they're cooked and 
forced out and they're like a little dough ball and they're baked after that, dried. The little dough balls are, are dried. For that to stick together, for this not to all crumble and fall apart in that 20-pound bag. That's going to live on a shelf for 25 years? That's going to live on a shelf for quite Is a while. Is that still true, that dry food can live on the shelf for that long, some of these? Uh, they, they don't say that. They don't claim that anymore. But that, you know, with the Toxiquin, yeah. Shelf life for most kibble foods mm -hmm. are three years. Sorry, I interrupted you, though, you were saying. Do what? I'm sorry, I interrupted you, you were oh, saying. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, for, for that little kibble ball to stick together, keep its shape in that bag, a lot of glue has to be in there, and that is starch, carbohydrates. So carbohydrates aren't, aren't there. Dogs have zero nutritional requirement for carbohydrates zero. There are nutrients in some carbohydrates. There's vitamins, there's minerals that they can benefit from, but nutritionally speaking, there's zero, you know. So if it's not utilized by the animal, then it's going to come out the other end. And by nature of kibble, a lot of carbohydrate starch has to be added in order for it to keep its shape. Wow, that's interesting to put it that way. So the carbohydrates just go in one end and out the other is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, again, there are vitamins and minerals in, in some carbohydrates that the pet utilizes. Okay, but, you know, there is... <laughs> the way I think of it is like, <laughs> I, I say this laughing because I had a job many years ago at a raw food retreat and... I showed up late in the summer and the job they that was left over that they gave me was to clean the bathrooms. <laughs> and, oh. and this place, you know, was all about clean eating and enemas. And I was the bathroom cleaner, but it actually wasn't that bad. And it's almost like <laughs> if you have to clean the bathrooms, I'd rather be cleaning the bathrooms of the people who are eating nothing but raw food all day, <laughs> as opposed to the place down the street, which is serving heavily processed foods, right? And yeah. really, in, anyway, sort of the same thing with our dogs. Great. Well, any other questions that anyone has here that we can pose to to Susan? Anything that we haven't touched on that you think people might like to know about? No, just keep oh. learning. You know, I'm continually learning too. You know, that's the thing. This is, uh, we peel back layers of this. I had a pet owner years ago um, I put out a post and it was hard for her to accept. And she was arguing with me via email. That can't be true. That can't be true. And finally I went, I'm sorry. You know, I gave you the evidence. If, if you can't accept it, it's, it's okay. And about a month later, she wrote me back and she went, you know, this, my education uh, of understanding pet food is like me trying to get to the center of the onion. I couldn't get to the center of the onion right away. I had to only remove one layer and then live with that for a minute before I could take the next layer off. So we're all continuing to peel back layers. It's a very secretive industry. And as we learn one thing, you know, it gets shared among all of us 
and then we learn more and then we learn more. So we're all continuing to learn. So don't anybody get frustrated mm. with the learning process. I think it, that it reflects a lot of larger, I guess, I, I don't know what the word issues or, or stories about pets in our society. For instance, if you say to someone, oh, yeah, sure, I ate some of my dog's food, people will still think you're crazy in most people, I'm guessing. Whereas, and I, and I think of this, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Evermore, but my yes. friend, my friend Hannah is one of the, the founders of, of Evermore, which is the only food actually that we carry our, um, at our studio. And it's mostly what my dog eats. And she and her co-founder did a stunt where they ate only Evermore mm-hmm. for a month and actually felt great and lost weight and seasoned it up. So it really it's wasn't food. that bad. It's food, yeah. right? And yeah. to drive home the point that this is food. And really, if you think about it, why should it be gross to eat anything that you're feeding your dog? Yes, we'd have different nutritional needs, but we have more in common than we don't have in common as yes. far as our nutritional needs go by a lot. And to me, it makes sense that if I'm feeding my dog something, it shouldn't be that gross that I wouldn't want to eat it too, but we're still legal. Right. You know, that's the whole thing. Federal law says just what you were saying, that food is what humans and animals eat. That's U.S. law. Yet, unfortunately, the majority of the products out there do not abide by law. And that's wrong. So when is the truth about pet food documentary coming out? <laughs> no, 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 not me. <laughs> it seems like a Netflix special waiting to happen. Oh, well. Or a John Oliver, uh, a John Oliver episode. Well, we're continuing to learn always more and more. And it all gets shared. Every time I learn something, I do share it with pet owners, much to everyone in the industry and the regulatory people. Um, <laughs> they, they're not happy with me, but that's okay. Well, I'm glad that you're around for them to not be happy with. And yeah. I appreciate everything that you do and really, really am grateful to get to talk to you. And I hope that this conversation turns some new people on to your work, which is so valuable. So thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, telling your friends, and shopping in our online store. Learn more about School for the Dogs and sign up for lots of free training resources on our website, schoolforthedogs.com.